Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 323. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Listen, I'm not firing at all cylinders here. No, I can, I can feel man flu coming there. You just start it. I need a suck of fisherman's friend. <laughs> Boom. So it's going to be a bit of a short show. <laughs> it, uh, we've no fact articles this week. That's a, that's a first for a long, long time. And that's just the way the, the role to come in there. But we have a story. Ho, ho, we have a story. Robert T. Jishonek has got a story called The Spinach Can's Son which was the actual very first story that came out in Mike Resnick's magazine that he's put, putting together called Galaxy Edge. That story, this story that you're about to listen to came out in issue number one of that magazine in March 2013, so a little treat. Before we get into that, though, it is the beginning of the month, and we have some new art over there, and whoa, check it out, man. This is, if you remember a while ago, I put up a, a picture by a gentleman called Sparth, who did, and it was a, an old, or it was for a cover of a French edition of a Philip K. Dick book, I can remember that. Now I'm putting the second one up there, and again, this one is from a cover of a French edition. I wish I knew, to be quite honest, but I don't know which, I put it up, and I, I says, oh, it's from a Philip K. Dick, and everyone, which book, Tone, which book? So I don't know, but it is from, like, a, a French edition of one of the Philip K. Dick ones, and it's just, as soon as I, this was the, the one that I, I spotted straight away and I went, oh, that's... And it's been on my my phone, my kind of screensaver, the back screen, whatever you call it, for, since I got it, which is months ago, to be quite honest. So have a look at it. And, and actually, it's Skeet as well has come up with some cracking fonts just to, you know, to make it stand out there. So the cover is really nice. I've popped it in the feed, so if you've, you can see it on the feed there, you'll, you'll have a look. It is fantastic. True vintage science fiction. And before we get into the main fiction, just one last thing. A big thank you to everyone that's coming over to the Sofa Notes. You know what I mean? You've made it so worthwhile. You know, it, honestly, a lot of work went into there. And actually, even before the kind of work, there was a lot of to and fro between me and Josh just to try and get what we both wanted. You know, Josh has got to build this thing. You know what I mean? I get the kind of dreams, pie-eyed dreams in the sky. And so... <laughs> Josh is good at kind of tone, tone. Calm down, man. Calm down. No, we can't have a full multiplex cinema in there on this screen. But like you say, it's it's lovely. Can it works? Do you know what I mean? And it's it's really nice how it's all coming together. And like you say, it would be yeah, it would be lovely if it worked, but no one came. But it makes it a lot better when there's people coming over there. So and it's just tremendous. Take up's been tremendous. So thank you so much for that. Wonderful. We've got our first over there as well. We've got our first e-story from Paul DeFilippo, Farm Earth, and a great cover as well. So if you're kind enough to come over and join up, that's what you will get. 
And like I say, we've got the, the David Brin coming on 9th of February as well, live interview with Amy H. Sturgis. So there you go. So, main fiction by Robert T. Jashonek with a story called The Spinach Can's Son. Robert is an award-winning writer whose fiction, comics, essays and podcasts have been published around the world. He won the grand prize in the Pocketbook's nationwide Strange New Worlds contest and was nominated for British Fantasy Award. His young adult novel, Slipstream novel, My Favourite Band Does Not Exist, won the Forward National Literature Award and was named one of the booklist top ten first novels of youth. His science fiction thriller, Day Nine, is an 2013 International Book Award winner. He won the 2013 Scribe Award for Best Original Novel. And Hugo and a Nebula Award winner, Mike Resnick, has called him a towering talent. And like I say, Mike played him, or played him, Mike got him on the first issue. Do you know what I mean? And that's like your kind of main one. You want to kind of, you know, make sure that it goes off with a bang. Mike Resnick put Robert in there, first issue as well. So this guy's a writer. Story is narrated by Graham Dumlop. Graham is a software solution architect and voice actor living in Melbourne, Australia. He is the sound producer of the horror podcast Pseudopod and host of the YA podcast Cast of Wonders. You can find him at on Google Plus. I'll actually put a link on there so you can come over and have a look. And he occasionally tweets at Kvitzer on Twitter. Graham, thank you so much for this. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present... The Spinach Can's Son by Robert T. Jashonek I am the can of spinach in a sailor man's hand. He squeezes, expecting me to burst open and launch a blob of green power into his gaping maw. But I do not burst. He gets no mouthful of spinach, no surge of energy pumping up his arms to three times their size. That's not how it works on this side of the tracks, my friend. You're not in the funny pages anymore. Hot Pie the sailor tries again with both hands, straining for all he's worth. Come on, you rat fritzk! He squints up at the threat looming before him, the whole reason he needs his spinach. We've got to drive this she-hag off me boat! What threat could be awful enough to strike fear in the sailor man's heart? Is it Bobo, the comic strip bully, back for another knockdown drag-out? Not even close. The figure standing before Pot Pie and me isn't a drawing at all. There's nothing pen and ink about her. Sir! She's a three-dimensional woman in what looks like a spacesuit out of a 1950s movie. Silver metallic tights and a bubble helmet. Her black hair is arranged in tight waves beneath the glass. Please, calm down. I just want to ask you some questions. She pulls a photo out of a pouch on the belt slung diagonally over her hips. Have you seen this man? Never seen him before in me life, Hot pie squeezes me harder than ever. I try my best to help him, pushing from within for one simple reason. I recognise the man in the picture with his dark brown hair and square-jawed features. I know him like I know my own self, in fact, because he is myself, myself in another life. And I know her too. Her name is Molly. She's my wife, and I know why she's after me. Take another look, please, she says. It's urgent that I find him. Hot Pie shifts the corncob pipe from one side of his mouth to the other without ever touching it. I ain't seen him, she hag. He shakes a fist at her. Now puts him up. Molly takes a step toward him. You're sure you haven't seen him? 
pot pie scrambles backward, knocking over a stack of spinach crates. Crying out, he puts me to the only use he can think of, hurling me right at her. Molly ducks, and I go sailing over her head. It's not a clean getaway, though. The bracelet on her wrist starts beeping as I pass. Here, in the underfunnies, I'm an anomaly, a deformity in the panel geography, the panelography, and her equipment has detected me. Good thing a true panel nought like me can swim the currents here like a dolphin through water. Focusing my energies, I dive deep into the sea of words and images, hunting a good place to resurface. Found it. I cross the borders in full flight and land with a shock that takes my breath away. This time, I am the brick in the hand of a mouse. I bounce lightly in his grip as he jounces along through a strange landscape, surrounded by abstract objects straight out of a surrealist painting. He gives off a thick smell of stinky cheese and whistles a jaunty tune from his pointy grey snout. I know him well, Ixnay the Mouse. Once again, I've gravitated toward my favourite stomping grounds, the panelography of the early 20th century, in this case, the Hazy Cat Strip. Or should I say the underfunnies version of that strip? The reverse of it, the flip side where things don't work the way they should. The negative space that accrues in the collective unconscious of the readership around these tiny panel-bound stories. The land of things unsaid and hopes unrealised. For each time Pot Pie the sailor pops open a can, gobbles the spinach and beats up the bully, we know in our hearts there must be times when the can doesn't open. Well, that's just the way life works. And our expectations create this flip-side place that until recently no one knew about. I am a panel nought, an explorer of this place, though fugitive might be a better word for what I've become. Boy, says Ixnay, have I got one cooked up for that idiot cat this time. He hops up on what looks like a warped sundial and calls out into the hot wind, Oh, hazy! Without delay, the creature known as Hazy Cat comes bounding over the horizon. She's wearing a polka dot scarf and matching tutu. Come eat my treasured passion flower. Make it snappy, will ya? Hollers Ixnay. You're burning daylight here. Hazy flops to a stop in front of us and gapes with a love-struck goofy grin. Does Romeo have a heart-wilting sonnet plucked out to make his Juliet swoons? Oh, Yeah. Ixnay turns me over in his grip. You ever heard of iambric pentameter? Hazy claps her paws together and giggles. But of course, oh bog of the mouse hole. Hit me with that iambric pentagrammer to your little old heart's continent. You asked for it. Ixnay hauls me back, ready to throw. Be sure to notice the rhythmic counterpoint of strike and release. Or should I say the opposite? At that exact moment, Molly flashes to life between us and Hazy. The second she materialises, her bracelet starts beeping. She points her wrist in my direction and nods. I know you're here, Everett. You've figured out how to assume local forms, haven't you? Watching the bracelet, she walks toward us. You're inside the mouse, aren't you? Before Ixnay can say a word, Molly suddenly snaps backward. As she drops to the dusty ground, I see Hazy has her paws on her. You stay away from my little Ixnay mouse. Hazy flaps her paws like pancakes at Molly's helmet. 
He's my precious poet and certifiable boobalkins. Don't try stealing his heart, you hussy. Everett, Molly shoves the cat away and scrambles to her feet. I've come to talk to you. You sent me a message through the comic strips. Our prearranged emergency signal. Don't pretend you didn't. She's right. I can't because I sent it. But the signal wasn't a cry for help. It was bait. All part of the secret I've been keeping. I'm serious, Everett. Molly takes another step towards us. I'll do what it takes to get through to you. Ixnay just watches, juggling me from hand to hand. Whoever this dame is, I gotta admit, I like her style. Hazy, never much good in the fight, weakly bats at Molly's calves. Everett, you say? Is that some other word for mouses? Shut up, cat, says Molly. Everett, listen. Ixnay's little mouse heart thumps like a big bass drum. It pushes out his chest in the shape of a cartoon heart as it throbs. I think I'm in love. Naturally, this makes him raise me into throwing position again. Molly sees the danger but doesn't stop talking. It's time to come home, Everett. You can't keep running away. She spreads her arms wide. We both miss him, Everett, but you can't make things right on your own. I want to tell her how wrong she is, but I don't get the chance. Ixnay whips me at her glass-helmeted head before I can get the words out. Such fierce precision, says Hazy Cat. His passion must be deeper than I imagined. As I blast toward her helmet, I focus my strength on changing course. Ixnay's throw is off, which helps. In the underfunnies, things don't work the way they normally do, including his brick-pitching aim. So I fly wide and hurtle on past, soaring through the ochre skies, casting my mind toward another refuge. I've gotten so good I find one instantly and I set my sights. But I wait another moment to dive, because the truth is I'm not trying to lose her at all. Her bracelet has alerted her to my presence in the brick and she charges after me calling my name, calling another name too. Henry's gone, Everett! That's what she says just before I dive. I miss him too, but we need to move on without him. She's wrong, dead wrong, and I'm going to prove it. When I'm sure she's got a lock on me, I throw myself into the panelography. I ride the swirling currents of the underfunnies, swooping away from the bizarre realm of Hazy Cat. As I travel, I think of Henry. I think of our son. I remember how miraculous he was, how full of life and personality from the day he was born. I remember his bright blue eyes fixing on me with pure love and expectation the way his lips moved as he repeated the things I said, as if he were memorising each and every word. He was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, to us. A dream come true. A dream I'd never known I had until he arrived. A dream that ended the day he died. I remember the sound of screeching tyres, the screams of Molly as she ran, but never a sound from Henry. Not even a last gasp of breath when I got to his side in the street, only silence from him, and only blame between Molly and me, blame become hatred, hatred become rage. I threw myself into my work, pioneering the exploration of the richest vein of the underfunnies born of the comic strips of the early 20th century. Anything to lose myself in the black and white of simple line work, the discoveries of subtextual space. 
anything to forget Henry and stay away from Molly. And then one day I got the idea, and I knew it would work. It will work, if only I can get her to where she needs to be. Suddenly, the flow of my thoughts is interrupted as I pop free into a fresh setting. I feel the tingle of something sparking on my body, the crackle of a tiny flame burning at one end of me. This time, I'm a lit stick of dynamite in the hand of a child. Zor, says the little boy, a chubby creature with thick hair as black as his old-fashioned waistcoat. What do you say, Fritzy? Will the Admiral like this special bratwurst we have for his dinner? He holds me up and grins. Oh, yeah, says his brother, also chubby but with blonde hair and white coat. I think maybe he won't have so many chores for us tomorrow, Helmut. We're in a kitchen surrounded by the smell of cooking sauerkraut. The boy's auntie toils away on the other side of the room, stirring a bubbling pot. Her work is never done, taking care of the mischievous and ungrateful schnitzeljammer brats. Time to serve their first course! Blonde Fritz grabs a plate and holds it out. Helmut drops me onto a plate with a devilish smile. What a lovely presentation! The Admiral is sure to ask for seconds! Yeah, Fritz laughs. Thirty seconds until she blows! With that, they march me out through the swinging door to the dining room. The Admiral awaits them, sitting at the table in his seaman's cap and scrub-brush moustache. Dinner is served! Fritz plunks the plate in front of him. Bom appetit, says Helmut, and then he catches himself. I mean, bon appetit! The Admiral doesn't seem to notice that there's dynamite on his plate instead of bratwurst. He raises his fork and knife, ready to dig in. But before his utensils make contact, his cap leaps off his head and flops down over me. Cut off from the air, my fuse fizzles and stops burning with just an inch to go. Then I hear her voice, Molly's voice, speaking from the substance of the cap. You're not the only one who knows how to manipulate the supertexture of the underfunnies. I'm surprised. Following me into the panelography is one thing. Possessing resident iconography is quite another. Apparently my wife did her homework before she got here. Now listen to me, she says. I want you to come home with me, Everett. You've been in here too long. For the first time since she found me, I answer her. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yes, I do, she says. Don't you think I tried to hide from the world too? Don't you think I wanted to run away and never come back? Never remember what happened to Henry? Don't you think I loved him too? Her words settle around me like comic strip snow. Should I remind her again that I was trimming hedges in the backyard when it happened and she was the one who was supposed to be watching him when he wandered into traffic? That she was the one who turned her back to talk to a neighbour when she should have had her eyes glued to Henry at all times? Only if rubbing salt in the wound is my goal. Leave me alone, I tell her. Go back to reality. I'm not leaving without you. That's final. Just as she says it, she's lifted away, leaving me uncovered on the plate. Fritz makes a grab, but I dive out of the realm of the schnitzeljammer brats before his pudgy hand can touch me. I've got to keep moving, keep running, keep drawing her along in my wake. Only until it's too late to stop what I've got planned. It wouldn't be enough to tell her the story straight up and tell her the idea I've set in motion. 
I can't take the chance she won't believe it's possible, that she won't cooperate. Not to mention that it breaks every tenet of the Panel Nought protocols, protocols that I helped create. Diving through the foamy black and white tides toward my next destination, I remember the early days of exploration. I wasn't the first to discover the underfunnies, but I found the first doorway and made the first trip inside. It was so thrilling back then, such a novelty, plying the byways of this vast psychic substrata, jumping into manifestations of comic strips from various eras, existing side by side with beloved characters, as well as obscure ones. Before long, I discovered I hadn't accessed the primary reality of those strips, but a flip-side echo where nothing works the way it should, a negative space where expectations can't be trusted, the place where pot pie's spinach won't burst on cue, where Ixnay the mouse can't toss a brick on target, where the schnitzeljammer brat's dynamite sticks won't stay lit. Did I understand the full implications back then? Hell no. The best I thought we panel noughts could do was influence the collective unconscious, plant messages that guide humanity toward a state of peace and harmony. We wrote protocols forbidding extreme intervention, anything that disrupted the essential integrity of the panelography. And now I'm throwing them all away. The ultimate disruption is in motion. Every moment brings it closer to final fruition. And I'm the one who engineered it. I'm the one who knows how close we are to the grand finale. Very close now. It's time to pick up the pace. I need her to move along quickly, not give her time to think or catch her breath. I need to flash like a skipping stone from world to world to world until we reach the last one, the one I've prepared. So I fling myself out of the current and surface in another place. This time I'm a cigar in the mouth of Moo Mullet, rascally gambler and 'er ne'er-do-well. Seconds later I hear Molly's voice coming back from the black derby hat on Moo's little brother, Cozy. Please, Everett, says the derby hat. No more running. Say, what gives? Moo snatches the hat from Cozy's head and gives it a smack with the back of his hand. Now I've got to take lip from a lid. We can get through this together, says Molly, if you'll just come home. That topper's positively brimming with yap, ain't it? says Cozy. Leave me alone, I shout, just as I dive out of the scene. Now my cigar's running at the mouth? I hear Moo say as I leave. What next? My racing form telling me which horse to bet? Once again, the currents bear me onward. I'm closer still to our final destination and the consummation of all my efforts. Leaping from the flow, I become a club in the hands of Ali Hoop, the caveman. Molly becomes the collar around the neck of his pet dinosaur, Finny. Please, give me a chance! The sound of her voice makes Finny grunt and run into a tree. What the heck? says Ali. How come you sound like a girl all of a sudden, Finny? I leap away without a word and she follows. Next I become the fireman's hat on Smokin' Stovepipe and Molly's the bell on his kooky one-man fire truck. I linger there for less time than it takes Smokin' to utter his catchphrase, Foo! We're closer now, almost there. I speed up even more. At our next stop, I'm the clodhopper boots on Lil Asner, the hillbilly. Molly's the pipe in his old moor's mouth. Then I'm the giant sandwich in Ragwood Rumstead's hands and she's the polka-dotted bow tie at his throat. Another hop and I'm the TV wristwatch on Rick Tracer's arm. She's his lemon yellow trench coat. Then I'm the bald head on Daddy Big Bucks and she's orphan Agnes curly orange hair. Please stop, says Molly, giving Agnes quite a start. Just stop running. 
bleeping blizzards, yelps Orphan Agnes. In spite of Molly's pleas, I leap again just the same, because finally we've reached the end, my whole purpose in leading her on this chase through the underfunnies. I swoop through the currents and burst free at our last stop. This time I appear as myself, not disguised as some comic strip prop. She does the same, returning to her familiar form in the silver spacesuit and bubble helmet. Finally, here we are, in a child's darkened bedroom. What is this? She stares at the black-haired boy on the bed between us. Who is this? His name is Little Nino, I tell her, and he's a dreamer. Even as I say it, Little Nino stirs and sits up in bed. He rubs his eyes, and then he looks at me and smiles. Oh, he says, you're here! Grinning, I tousle his hair. Just like we talked about, Nino. Are you ready? He smiles and nods. What's happening here, Molly scowls? What are you talking about, Everett? Little Nino's been having a crazy dream, I tell her. Haven't you, Nino? Why, yes, I have. Little Nino crawls down off the bed and pads across the room in his fuzzy white footy pyjamas. I have been dreaming about the music in my closet. As we watch, he opens the door of his closet. Beams of rainbow light stream out around him. At the same time, a sweet piping song skirls forth, the sound of flutes and chimes and strings weaving in delicate harmony. Little Nino smiles back at us. Do you hear it? Yes, we do, I tell him. Let's have a closer listen, shall we? That will be fine. Without hesitation, little Nino shuffles through the closet doorway, disappearing into the rainbow light. Come on, I take Molly's elbow. I want to show you something. She frowns at me. That song, I know it, don't I? I just shrug and pull her toward the closet. As soon as we cross the threshold, the doorway disappears behind us. Suddenly, we're standing on a beach at night, facing a bonfire that burns in rainbow colours. At first, we're alone there with little Nino. I remember what comes next, he says. Would you like to see the rest of the dream? Yes, we would. I let go of Molly's elbow and take her hand. We would like that very much. Little Nino waves his arms and figures descend from above, floating down one at a time from the starry sky. They're comic strip women, all of them, descending like wingless angels to land lightly on the wet sand around the rainbow bonfire. There's Potpie's girlfriend, Olives, Ragwood's wife, Blonder, Lil Asner's gal, Dandelion Meg, Rick Tracer's true love, Bess Blueheart, Ali Hoop's cave girl, Moolah, and so many more. Every woman you can think of from the funny pages, every one of them, from the sublimely beautiful to the utterly ridiculous. Dozens of them. Hundreds of them. This is it. This is what I've been working for. This is why I summoned Molly. Because this is where the impossible can happen. Here in a child's dream, in a flipside place where things don't happen the way they should. Only here could I do what had to be done. Hand in hand, Molly and I walk to the fire. We stand before the women, their faces and forms flickering in the dancing rainbow light. Oh, 
Suddenly little Nino runs forward and gazes into the flames. There's something inside. Without hesitation, he plunges his arms into the fire. When he pulls them back out again unburned, there's a bundle in his hands. Something wrapped in a comic strip blanket, all black ink and woolly cross-hatched texture. Grinning, little Nino turns and offers the bundle to Molly. Please take this, he says. It is for you. From all of us, says Olives in her nasally voice. Every last one of us. That's exactly what it took. The combined power of several hundred female icons projected together merged with my own hopes and memories in one supreme act of will. Not sex, but creation, nonetheless. The ultimate surrogate motherhood. Molly peels back the blanket and a tiny face looks out at her. The face of a comic strip baby boy, eyes big and dark and shining. This then is my secret son, a child conceived in the panelography, a child of pure hope and imagination, an homage to the son we lost. And perhaps much more than that. Think of Henry, I tell her. Remember everything you can about him. Every detail. She looks at me with tears rolling down her face. But that won't. This isn't. Trust me. I lift the helmet from her head and kiss her wet cheek. Think of Henry. She casts her eyes up at me with a look of anguished disbelief. I brush the dark hair back behind her ears and shake my head. I can't do it myself, I say. I need you. You're half of the memories. You're half of who he is. I kiss her cheek again. Please try. I watch as she cradles the squirming bundle in her arms, as she closes her eyes and frowns, reaching deep to dredge up those memories. The comic strip women huddle close, caught up in the moment, I can practically see the pen and ink waves of hope ripple out from their exaggerated forms. Maybe it's the force of their collective willpower. Maybe it's the power of the dream we're in, a dream within a dreamlike realm where human disbelief is suspended, where comic strip life works in reverse, so harsh human reality can change direction too. Or maybe it's just her memories and love for him. Our memories and love pouring into a vessel of India ink, pulling him back from the vanishing point, pulling all three of us back. Whatever the reason, a new strip debuts tonight, a full-colour single panel above the fold in the Sunday pull-out section. Here's how we kick off the run. A mob of famous comic strip women stands around a rainbow bonfire, At panel centre, classic child character little Nino stands on tiptoe, gazing at the swaddled babe in the arms of a woman in a skin-tight silver spacesuit. Little Nino says, Oh my, look at his eyes, they're not black anymore. The woman in the spacesuit weeps for joy. The square-jawed man beside her bends down to kiss the infant's forehead. We can see in the firelight that the baby's eyes are the brightest blue that the four-colour printing process will allow. The caption at the bottom of the panel reads as follows. Welcome back, Henry. 
There you go. Don't forget, copyright is Roberts. Robert, thank you so much for that. Ex- honestly, excellent. And Graham, every time, man, every time, cracking narration. Thank you so much. So that is the Starship Sova, short and sweet. On this week, when the captain might be coming down with a touch of the old man flu, there. You have a hot. I'm actually in a string of hideous kind of night shifts as well. So again, my world's upside down. I don't know if I'm batting a ball in there. So hopefully things will get sorted out for next week and I'll have my my voice back. So until next week, just like you say, good night from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honour and artistic judgement? in next week for the next exciting installment of Starship Sofa, evacuation procedure initiated. Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in 3, 2, 1. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.